0: Well, the big question everybody's asking, is, have you got it all done? Are you ready? That's what, uh, we all want to know. That's what we're all working on. I had the, uh, blessing or misfortune, depending on your perspective, of being at the mall yesterday. <laughs> um, so it was quite a scene, um, getting the last gifts and, um, you know, it would have been, I think I, I like people watching, so it would have been fun. Except for checking out in the parking lot, uh, that that was terrible. It just was terrible. Uh, but other than that, it was fun. I, I was thinking uh, yesterday as we were uh, getting some gifts, and uh, I was going with the girls and watching their budding feminism approach toward uh, shopping, uh, realizing wow, you know they're already different from me. And uh, I was just thinking about. Uh, when my first uh, Christmas away from home uh, and getting ready for Christmas and having to do shopping and all, when you're all by yourself, and uh, had a roommate, he was he was a uh, one of my one of my best friend really for a number of years. We were roommates all throughout college, and I think we may have got something for each other maybe our first year, and then after that we had we had this discussion and it went something like this, you know. You, uh, you know, you know, do you really want to get a gift from me? I like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> no, not really. So, well, I tell you what, Here's here is our gift to one another. Our gift to one another is that we don't have to buy a gift. We gave each other the gift of not giving. All you guys are shaking your head like, yeah, I've done that, I've been there, I'm all for that. All you women are thinking... Guys, you know, uh, but that's that's what Christmas would be like if there were no women. Um, it would be the gift of no giving, and uh, our economy would die. Uh, you know, and that that's. I look back and I think, and I, I, I sometimes evaluate that, you know, because I'll revisit it in my mind, thinking, yeah, maybe we need to advocate that again, you know, but. I, I think about it, and I'm wondering, was that really a gift? Was that really love? And, and at that time, it made a lot of sense of it being love. But looking back, I'm I'm not totally convinced. I, th- I think the women might have something there. Um, I'm sorry, guys. Uh, but I hadn't thoroughly... Something just seems wrong about it. That's all I can say. Something just seems wrong about it. And I think maybe when I heard the phrase that uh, not all giving is love, but all love gives. And I think that's when I I think about that phrase. I'm like, well, you know, what about that? Well, I want to read with you uh, from 1 John chapter 4. I want to talk about love and what love gives. When I'm talking about love here, I'm talking about what God gives. Uh, The Bible says in 1 John 4 that God is love. It is his nature. It's not that love is God, but God is love because God is greater than love. And uh, if we look in 1 John 4, it, the the point of that chapter really is about testing the spirit to see what uh, of people to see if they are are God or not. And part of the, the teaching is is whether they're teaching the right thing, the gospel. And then, as we see in verse seven on, it's not only what they teach, but how they teach it, the spirit in which they teach it. And we looked at the example of Westboro and their um, protest with Elizabeth Edwards' funeral, and we we were able to see from that that the spirit was wrong. And what they were doing, it did not reflect uh, a Christ-likeness, a love that is of him. And so, uh, I want to keep that same theme and talk about what love brings to us. What love brings to us. Uh, and so, if you read all of 1 John, one of the things that it hits you is that he wants the reader, John does, to be very sure ...of some things in life. He wants them to be very sure of the gospel... ...very sure of eternal life, what it is. In fact, if you want to do a little study on that... ...and what he wants you to be sure of... ...let me give you some verses. In chapter 2, verse 3... ...he wants us to be sure that we know him. In chapter 2, verse 5... ...he wants to be sure that we are in him. In chapter 3, verse 10... ...he says, by this it may be seen... ...who are the children of God. In chapter 3, verse 14... We know that we've passed out of death into life. Chapter 3, verse 19. By this we shall know that we are of the truth. Chapter 3, verse 24. By this we know that he abides in us. Chapter 4, verse 2. By this you know the spirit of God. Chapter 4, verse 6. By this we know the spirit of truth. Chapter 5, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God. In chapter 5, verse 13, I write this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And so if you are one who is dealing with uncertainty about where they stand before God, 1 John was written for you. You need to read it. I would encourage you to focus on those passages uh, that I just mentioned to you. And so, uh, and and verse 13 is where we're going to focus, chapter 4 through verse 21. And we're going to look at what God gives uh, as we... Look at this Christmas season. What exactly did he give us when he sent his son on that Christmas day? Uh, what was provided? There's a lot there, but I'm just going to share with you about five things from this text. Um, five benefits of, of the love of God. And so uh, as we read this together, let's stand as we read in honor of what this is, the word of God. If you'll read silently as I'll read aloud to you. Chapter four, verse 13. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we've seen and testify that the father has sent his son to be savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. On this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You may be seated. As so we looked at verse 7 through 12, we saw why we love one another as God has given it to us uh, in his nature, given it to us in his Son, and the gift of Jesus on the Son. And we saw through these two things how God's love is extended to us, and and so consequently we, we love one another. So it's with the same idea, he says in verse 13, by this we know that we abide in him, and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. This is important for us to understand that because of only the Spirit of God, do we really love divine love someone else as well as loving God. Uh, and so the first thing that we see here in verse 13 that God gives us is God's of the God of love gives us of His Spirit. Alright? His Spirit. His eternal Spirit. Um, we know the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, if you can imagine, uh, God the Father... With God the Son, the Bible says that they had perfect, has perfect fellowship with one another. Um, Have you ever been with someone who just made you click, you just clicked with? And there seemed to be, between the two of you, um, a spirit within you. Maybe it was a spirit of humor, uh, a spirit of pranks, (laughs) all right? Uh, or maybe it was a serious discussion, but but that person only brought out, and and this is true of anybody. They only bring out a certain part of you that only that person does. All right, that is is of an atmosphere, a dynamic, it's a personality almost of a, of itself. What you have from God the Father and God the Son is a uh, clicking like you can never imagine. That between the two of them, the fellowship that they have with one another generates. Such a fellowship, such a spirit held in common that it is part of the Trinity that proceeds from God the Father and God the Son. The spirit of their relationship takes on and is a person in of, of himself. And so you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit that has existed for eternity. That is the uniqueness of God the Father and God the Son in relationship with one another. And so when you read um, uh, in and, and, and John, that Jesus says, God, send them your spirit. Send them our spirit so that the communion that we've had since the beginning of time, they too can also have communion. Have you ever been around someone that had a click? Just, you know, they had their own inside jokes going on. You looked at them and you just sat there and they were laughing at stuff that made no sense whatsoever. You're like, what? You know, well, can you imagine God, the father, God, the son? And he says, I give you the spirit of God. And now. You can seek me. You can have a relationship. If there are inside jokes between us that you don't know, it's only because you had not sought them out. In other words, God is making available his relationship with you, with with him. There is an intimacy that can be found with God because he is giving his spirit and granting it to you. And so the very first thing that I just want to bring out here is, is verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. How do you know you're a believer? Well, the Bible says very clearly that One of the the signs, the assurances of someone walking with God is they have the Spirit of God that convicts them of righteousness, of that which is right, that which is Jesus Christ, convicts them of sin and convicts them of judgment that these things are happening in their life. There's a, a contrary voice to their selfishness and a convicting of that which is right. This is a gift. Now, we go on, verse 14, we see something else that God gives us. The God of love gives us a worldwide Savior. Verse 14, and we have seen, John's talking here, we've seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son. All right, so he's thinking about John, he's thinking about the apostles, those that are with him, those that were walking with them. he said, we've seen this. With our own eyes, we've touched him, we know him, and we know that he was sent of the Father. He is the Son of God. We can see these things, we testify these things, and he's not just the Son of God. Notice, why is he sent? Verse 14, John is saying, I walked with him, I saw him, I saw the crucifixion, I saw the resurrection, I was in an intimate time with him, and I can tell you why he came. He came to be the Savior of the... What does it say there? Of the world. The Savior of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for the entire world. There's not someone out there that God is saying, you know what? <laughs> I've got this gift of salvation, but you know, you're just not included on in this this deal. I'm not offering it to you. You're not smart enough. You're not pretty enough. You're not wealthy enough. I'm I'm just not going to give it to you. What he's saying is that is not true. Jesus is provided for all the world, not just for some. God's provision of salvation is for all the world, but it's effective for only those who will walk in faith. It's only able to be applied to those who will trust in him. So... When we have the confession of the angels on the Christmas morning, you remember as he's talking to to the, the Bethlehem for hold, oh, I bring you good news for today in Bethlehem is born to you a, a savior who is Christ, the Lord and so you have a Simon declaring to Mary that this is a child who's destined for the rising a falling of many and a sword's going to pierce your own heart, Mary why? because this is a savior and salvation will come through him. It is what what uh, Zechariah was declaring when John the when John the Baptist was prophesied that he would have his have him as a as a son and he prophesied that this is going to be a forerunner of those of this one who will be a savior. It is the theme that you see throughout because it is the need of every man. Every woman in this world needs a savior. You know, sometimes we think of people as being different from us because they live in some other place and they, and they deal with daily stuff. But you know what I found is that a lot of people are the same. You've got a man, a woman, who are trying to get water and get food to provide for their children, and they enjoy their children, and they deal with the things of that day, of that economy, and they're going through their day, and this is how it has been for hundreds of years. People have been the same and they think a lot of themselves. Do you know that every person thinks a lot of themselves? It's not just, it's not just relegated to the Americans. You know? You, you go to other countries and everybody thinks a lot of themselves. Who, who taught them that? You don't teach that, do you? Every child thinks a lot of themselves. See, the sad reality is that this world was made for God, but we're born in this world thinking it was made for us. That's just the sad reality. And we view everything as if it's for us. You know, you see beautiful sights and you get amazed by the beauty of, of natural scenes and things of creation, of things of the world. When a child's being born, we see a beautiful thing and we think, wow, how does this happen? This is amazing. And, and for a little bit, we realize that something's bigger than ourself. And we find a lot of joy in that. Do you realize that? That's called awe. When we realize that something's bigger than ourself, how is it that our heart rejoices in those moments? Because we were made for such moments. We're made for such moments. And the sad reality is, is that we look at all these things and we thumb our nose at God who made these beautiful things that cause us all. And we say, God, I don't care. Let me live for myself. And God says, fine, I'll let you, but you will face the penalty of living a life apart from me. And that attitude gets passed on from son to son, from daughter to, from mother to daughter, uh, from father to son. It gets passed on one after another. And that's our mindset. And God says, you know what this world needs is a savior who will save them from themselves who will save them from sin and the power of sin and the penalty of sin and so the bible tells us very clearly in first john chapter 4 that god was sent his son to be the savior of the world the god of love gives us a worldwide savior and that is enough for us to be thankful for the rest of eternity but let we go on verse 15 What else does God give us? The God of love gives us a divine communion. Divine communion. This is kind of what I was speaking about earlier, where we have this perfect communion between Father and Son. God the Father, God the Son. And from the Spirit proceeds from God the Father and Son. And then He says, you know what? You want to get in on this? You want to get on this? He gives the Son to you. And notice what the Scripture says. Verse 15, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God Listen to this, God abides in him and he in God. So this confession, this is just making a statement that uh, Jesus is God. Jesus is my savior. He died on the cross. Is it just merely that? Yeah, I was reading and and saw where uh, if you want to be a Muslim, then you repeat three times uh, their main creed. There's only one God, but uh, uh, Allah and Muhammad is his prophet. And you just repeat that three times. And they say, congratulations, you are now a Muslim. And I'm thinking, it, it, there's more to it than just those words. There, there is a belief in your heart. A something you're hoping, you're relying, you're trusting in. And so, in fact, verse 16, he explains this a little bit more. So we have come to know and to believe the love That God has for us. That God has for us. This word "believe" is you can replace it with the word rely. So we have come to know and rely on the love that God has for us. This love that God, when God says in John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that is a wonderful thought and it can set our heart on fire, our mind on fire, but it has no benefit until you rely on that and you trust in that. This is what it means to confess that Jesus is Lord, to confess uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, is to rely on that concept, to hold on to that concept, to realize that is worth living for, that is worth believing, and to, to make sure that this is the molding belief in all of my life comes this one idea that Jesus is the Son of God, He is my Lord, He is my Savior, and He loves me. He loves me. Um, my, my wife believes in a good bed. Um, and I agree with her. A good bed. What, what makes a good bed? Well, um, this is different for every person, but this is how we've defined a good bed. Queen sized. Alright, at least queen sized gives us space. Pillow top mattress. You see those things? Extremely fluffy. Very good. Very soft. Uh, Egyptian cotton sheets, you know? Um, just smell, feels smooth and silky, and it just, it's a good feel. And, and a fluffy mat, uh, uh, I don't know these names, cover. You guys, y'all you know the name of it. Cover, alright? Fluffy cover. <laughs> and, each person has at least, at least two pillows, preferably three. Each person. Good bed, alright? Um, now, we have a bed like that, uh, you know, and it's wonderful to get in. Uh, it's just, it's like, oh, you know, just, you know, feels so relaxing. But what good is that bed if I never get in it? What good is that bed if I just spend all my days and walk around and sleep on the floor? You have to, at some point, to know the benefit of that is to rely with all of your weight on that bed. What the scripture is saying here is that God loves you and he sent his son to be the savior of the world and he is offering to you a fellowship with God whom you were made to enjoy and he's offering this to you. But what good is knowing that if you don't trust in that, if you don't rely on that, if you say to yourself, you know what? That's great. That's fine. I'm sure it's good for somebody else, but I personally would prefer to live my life for partying, or living my life for adultery, or living my life for money. I prefer living my life for these things because this seems so much better, and all the while we have no idea that it's like sleeping on the floor with cockroaches that will get to us eventually when there's a bed provided for you that will last for eternity that is filled with the comforts of that which matters. That's... That's what was given for us right here. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in Him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love, abides in God and God abides in him. This world offers us a cheap, cheap imitation of the real thing. And we just got to ask, do we believe that? We believe it's a cheap imitation of the real thing. John seventeen twenty six. Jesus prayed for you. He prayed for you, not just those disciples that he walked with, but the ones that would come. I've made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Well, let me go on. Uh, there's more that God gives us. The God of love gives us an in-time confidence. An in-time confidence. Notice verse 17. By this, and referring to what he just wrote, is love perfected with us. We'll talk about what that means in a little bit. What does it mean to have love perfected? So that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because he is, so also are we in this world. Alright, so he says in verse 17... Confidence comes with this love. Verse 18, the negative. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So the God of love gives us an end-time confidence. All right? Love perfected. A lot of times we, we have the understanding of, of moving from something which is flawed to something which is flawless. That's usually an understanding with perfection. But... I think that is the wrong understanding here uh, with what's being said. In fact, there's more than one way of using in the New Testament the word perfected. In fact, in John chapter 4 verse 34 we have a, a comparable account where he uses this word. It says where Jesus says, "My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work, that word for accomplish in John 4:34 is the same word, used for perfected in chapter 4 and what we've just read, chapter 4, verse 12 and verse 17. So what are we saying? That this word could be translated accomplished or perfected. So it's not moving from flawed to unflawed, but it's moving from an assignment to an action. It's moving from a thought, an idea, to in your life doing it. It's completed. Alright, so the love of God is completed, alright, and this completed love gives us confidence. What does this mean? When you can look in your life and you see in your calendar, you see in your pocketbook, you can look in the history and your memories and you see love at work. (laughs) You get that? It's not just saying I love people, but you can look at your life and see how you love people. It's an action. It's completed love that's being talked about here. And this completed love gives us a confidence for the day of judgment. Why? Because we love the judge. (laughs) Because we love the judge. And we know that the judge loves us. We know that the judge loves us. And this love of the judge given to us is generating a love in return that is expressed for love toward others. And so the end result is as he is, so are also we in this world. We become Christ-like as we walk around in this world because of loving other people that flows out of love for God. All right, you get that? There's this word, verse 18, for fear. There's no fear. That's the word phobias, all right? It could be good or bad. A good fear, and there's a good fear, right? We you teach your children some good fear. Um, and there's a bad fear, it could go both ways, but it's the word for phobia. He says this type of fear, the fear of judgment, is being cast out because of love. All right, um, people, people are afraid of God. People are afraid of judgment. You can get around someone that will talk forever, and you, and you start talking about God, and they shut up, and they just run away from you. Why? Because it's starting to smack of judgment. And who wants to talk about judgment? There is a fear of a God who judges. This, this idea of verse 18, perfect love cast out fear is to, to, turn out of the doors, alright? It's that idea, where, wherever love exists, then fear's not gonna exist. Um, I remember, uh, when we were in our, lived in a parsonage, we were living out by a field, and um, It's like, weather like this is starting to get cold. So if, if you have ever lived in that type of situation, lived out close to a field, a farm, and you know that, um, when it starts getting cold, something starts occurring in your house. It doesn't matter how tight your house is sealed. You start seeing little black spots on the floor and the cabinets. Like, what's this? What is this stuff? It's evidence of mice. Uh, oh you know this is a whole new thing for us I'm, I've got to be the, I've got to be the, the man of the house you know we gotta we gotta drive these things out you know bye. I'm sorry for those of you who love mice um, but we just had a, a sense in our home that mice should not be in our house and so we would do all manner of means to get them out Destruction was one of them, um, <laughs> mousetraps and things like that. You know why? Because there, there was a sense in our home that where we are, mine should not be. And so, what you've got here in this scripture is that same idea: the casting out doors. All right, uh, where there is the love for God, where there is a love for others, that love drives away fear. ...of judgment, they do not coexist... ...is the argument that he's trying to bring out... ...they, they just do not stay in the same heart. How does that work? Well, again... Um, ...God loves us... ...we get compelled by that sense of God's love for us... It, 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 ...by the Spirit of God giving to us... ...it generates a love in turn back to Him... ...and you know, how do we love God? Because He has no body that you can hug... All right, he has He has no hand that you can shake. He has no face that you can kiss. How do you love someone you can't see who is invisible? And so God says that this love goes out to people. That's how you express the love of God. And so when you live a life that is that which some would call sacrifice, but because it's love, it's not sacrifice. When you give this love out... And you have a lifestyle of this type of activity, of helping others, giving to others, because of our love for God. When it comes time to wondering, hey, is God really in their heart, in their life? You have, without a shadow of doubt, knowledge that God has changed you from seeing the world all about yourself to seeing instead that it's about God, demonstrated by how you give, how you sacrifice, how you've done these things. And so when time comes for dying, you'd say, God's done so much in my heart and life. Do you know what a tightwad scrooge of a person I normally am? But when I look at my life and I've seen these things, I can't explain it other than the fact that Christ has done these things in my life. And you know, there have been times that I've messed up and I know that, but I still have no fear before the judge because the judge loves me. The judge was the one who sent his son to die for me. The judge is the one who is for me. And if he is for me, who on earth can be against me? And he has sent his son to pay for the penalty of my sin. That if I sin, I have an advocate before the father who is interceding on my behalf. Judgment, come away. I'm good because Christ has given me goodness. problem is that we have this confession of Christ without living Christ and so when it comes time to dying and all we have is just that we attended church we were baptized we made some check off at some point before church but you lived your life utterly for yourself there's a lot of room for, for fear there there's a lot of room for that Where's the love for God in that? Where's God's love in that? It changes our heart. It brings action to our life. But let me share with you, verse 19, there's something else that uh, God's love gives us. The God of love, well, He gives us His Spirit. He gives us a worldwide Savior. He gives us a divine communion. He gives us an end-time confidence. And then God of love gives us a compelling compelling command. Why is this a compelling compelling command, if I can say that? Why is it compelling? Well, verse 19, we love because he first loved us. He says, end-time confidence is all dependent on your love for God and love for others. But no, it's not dependent on that. It's dependent on God's love for you. It all comes from Him. You see, while I was at the peak of my sinning and hatred toward God, He loved me to the point of sending His Son to die for me. Maybe you're not, and maybe I'm not at the peak of that yet, of sin and hatred before God, of actions done that just is... Utter in the face of God against Him. But I do know that God has seen all of my future and, knowing all of my future, loved me to the point of sending His Son to die for me. The fact is, I can't make God, and I cannot, there's no possibility whatsoever that I can make God love me more than He already does. And He will not love me any less. There is no change that's going to happen with it. His love for me. And so we love because He first loved us. You remember um, when you first started liking girls, guys? When you first started noticing them, thought, something's changed. They're not nearly as annoying. Um, and you might have got so fascinated by one certain girl that chased you around the playground and you thought I got I gotta do something more. I I gotta have something more. I gotta have some kind of confidence that my heart going out in this way is gonna be reciprocated. So you wrote that note, you know? Check, yes or no, you like me. And you only put two boxes there, but they put a third option there. Maybe. Like, what's that? You know. I didn't say maybe. What? What were you? What were you going? I mean, you, you put your heart on the line. They come back with maybe, or even worse, shade in no way. You know. And you're like, your heart's crushed. And why did they say maybe anyway? Why, why couldn't they just step out there? Because we all have a fear, don't we? Of putting our heart out there and get thrown back to us. We don't want to see our heart thrown back to us. Here's the good news. God doesn't throw it back to you. He first loved us. Verse 19. He's the one checking out that note. I love you. I love you. Will you trust that? Will you rely on that? Check yes or no. And you can pour out the bottom of your heart in love to him. And you never out love him. You can look like a fool in love. For this one, but he outdoes you. That's the love of God. There's no fear of rejection. He says, I love you. And when you rely on that, when you trust in that, and say, God, I need your Savior. I need forgiveness. I need your spirit. I need to change in how I live my life and how I view and think of others. I need that change. And God grants the spirit of God to your life. And lo and behold, there is a love that is born anew in your heart for God. You do things because you want to seek God. That five years ago you thought, that's absurd to think I'd ever do that. You start loving and longing to be around people who are religious about Jesus Christ. And he always thought they were kind of off the rocker a little bit. But God is doing something in your heart that you cannot explain and it's something that God is working that he wants to see the love in your heart. And so you have this love. And what do you do with this? Verse 20, he says this is what you don't do. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. But he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. What is he talking about there? Is he talking about that that people whom I'm seeing are easier to love because I can see them? I'd beg to differ with that. Because, I mean, y'all looked around? You know? Sometimes seeing them makes it worse, doesn't it? I gotta love that person? What's he talking about? He says, if he is a liar, for who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. It goes back to what I was saying before. You, how do you express God, love to God whom you can't see? How can you, how can you hug someone that has no body? How can you kiss someone who has no face? How do you love one who is not here as far as in bodily presence? God says to you, you love other people. Husbands, how is it? that you love your wife and sacrifice for them. Yeah, okay, she's beauty. She's sweet. You respect her. But ultimately, that won't be enough. It's because Jesus died for you and he loves you. And that love of God is born in your heart and changes us to love your wife. Wives, how on earth do we respect a man Love him, maybe, yeah, but respect him. Pastor, have you seen what he does or doesn't do? You do it because you love God. You don't have God the Son there to wash his feet. To anoint him with oil. And he says, you love me, love others. Love others. Love others. For if you don't love your brother whom you've seen, you cannot love God whom you have not seen. It is You're fooling yourself if you think that somehow you've got this separation going on. Verse 21. And this commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Why is this a compelling command? Because first of all, God loves us. He initiated it. He starts it. He gives us a spirit to help us love and to generate love, shedding it abroad in our hearts. And then he, he says demonstrate this love by to others. So let me tell you once again, this is a command that we have, not from John but from Jesus. And not just from Jesus, but God the Father from the beginning. In Deuteronomy 6, he says to love of the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. Galatians 5.14 For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Mark 12.31, the second is like this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And when Jesus was telling the parable, and he says uh, in this parable between the sheep and the goats and the folks who mistreated prisoners and the poor and he says to them truly as you did it to one of the least of these brothers you did it to me Matthew 25 verse 40 it's a principle all throughout how we treat others is determining what we do with God so children when you do not honor your parents and you tell me you love God first John says no. No. Fathers and mothers, if you say that you will honor your children or that you will raise them up in the nurture and the nature of God, and you don't, and yet you say you love God, something's not connecting. Something's not connecting. Men and women, when you're at work and you say that you love God, but you are lying to your boss and you're lying to your co workers, something's not connecting. Husbands and wives, when you say that you love God, but you have nothing but bad to say to your spouse, something's not connecting. That's just our family. (laughs) That's just our family. But yet we come here, and we're known as a loving, gentle person. The love of God starts in our heart, goes into our family, goes into our work, goes into our faith community. You say, well, you know what? This is this is kind of a painful thing, loving someone. I mean, it's so inconvenient. Can I just do what you did and just give them the gift of not giving? Is it, you know? Love is sacrifice, but is well worth it. Sometimes love will hurt. It will hurt. Maybe if we don't love them quite so much, maybe it wouldn't be so hard. That's so what we tell ourselves. C.S. Lewis wrote something interesting the book, Four Loves. To have it all, or to love it all, is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Nothing costs as much as loving except not loving. But Here's, here's the news. God loves you with an eternal love. And it does cost him much. He's poured out his heart to you. Let that love be born in your heart. This type of love that, as a wife, Sarah, in, in the Civil War, had a letter being written from her husband, Sullivan, Balu, realizing he was going to be facing peril at the Battle of the Bull Run. He writes in this letter to his wife, If I do not return, my dear Sarah, never forget how much I loved you. Nor that when my last breath escapes me on the battlefield, it will whisper your name. It is a love toward God that is romantic, that is compelling, that is active, that is trust, that is hard, that is self-sacrificing. But it is nothing that God has not first done for you and extends to you and will birth in you. May you die. May I die whispering the name of Jesus and his love for us. Let's pray.